Welcome to Rights for Women, a podcast all about celebrating women's voices and supporting women writers. I'm Pamela Cook, women's fiction author, writing teacher, mentor and podcaster. Before beginning today's chat, I would like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Dharawal people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, along with the traditional owners of the land throughout Australia, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. And a quick reminder that there could be strong language and adult concepts discussed in this podcast, so please be aware of this if you have children around. Now, let's relax on the Convo couch and chat to this week's guest. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Rights for Women, the last episode for June. And the last episode of the month is normally a new release feature author episode. Uh, But there's been a little change to the uh, schedule this month. My new release feature author is going to be Christine Wells. So Christine has an absolutely fabulous book, The Sisters of the Resistance, which I have literally stayed up for the last few nights reading into the very early hours and then had to just finish this morning before I uh, did anything else today. And I can't wait to talk to Christine about it, but it's already been released in the US and because it's not released in Australia until the 9th of July, we're going to hold off that episode until mid-July-ish so that um, everybody has a chance to maybe get the book, read it and find out a little bit more about it from Christine when we actually have our new release author chat. So watch out for that episode in mid-July. That means that today's episode is going to be something a little bit different on Rights for Women. It's actually a convo couch chat between myself and two other authors, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that in just a while. First off for today, though, I would like to thank our new Patreon community members. As you'll know if you listen to the podcast, I do have a Patreon supporter page, which you can find on the website and find more information out about that. And this week we have some new supporters of the Patreon community at Rights for Women, and that is Jacinta Rose, Leanne Lovegrove and Joe Dixon. So thank you so much to those three wonderful writers who are supporting the podcast, as well as all the others who I have previously mentioned. And you all have my eternal gratitude and thanks for supporting the podcast in such a a physical way of actually donating money each month to help me promote, release, record and do all the other bits and pieces for the podcast. So thank you so much. This episode of Rights for Women, as well as being a little bit different, it will be the last current edition until the second half of the year. I am going to take a little break, mainly from recording and actually releasing the podcasts, but I will behind the scenes be doing lots of organisation, lots of scheduling for the second half of the year. I already have some fantastic authors lined up and one of them is Sarah Winman. I'm really excited to have Sarah coming onto the podcast, talk about her new book, Still Life. I have some fabulous heart of writing guests coming up. I have a whole lot of really interesting people to talk to. So watch out for those episodes starting back again at the beginning of August. In the meantime, because I don't want to leave you with nothing to listen to, because, you know, there's no other podcasts out there or anything, but I thought what I'd do is do a bit of a rewind of some of the best episodes of Rights for Women or maybe some of my favourite episodes from the past. So these will probably be coming back out of the vault, the ones that Kel and I have done in previous years, and I'll be replaying some of those over the next month. 
if there's any particular episodes that you really loved and that really stick out in your mind, I'd love you to drop me an email at w4wpodcast at gmail.com or just message me on Facebook or Instagram and let me know what have been your favourite episodes. And I'd be really happy to have a look at some of those and maybe put them out there for a rewind so that new listeners can actually listen to them as well. Of course, they're all available still on the podcast if you go into the backlist, but sometimes it's nice to just have them back out there and to have another listen. So do let me know if there's any that are favourites of yours. Also, I'd like to remind you that I do have a weekly book giveaway. Sometimes I advertise that on my uh, Rights for Women Facebook and Instagram, sometimes on Pamela Cook. So keep an eye on Pamela Cook Writes on Instagram. So keep an eye on both of those because I do have a weekly book giveaway to share the book love with some of these fabulous books that I am so lucky to receive from publishers and authors. And it also uh, means signing up for the mailing list, but that's really easy to do via the website. So today I'd like to introduce you to two fantastic writers who have recently had the pleasure to meet. The Convo Couch conversation today came from a thread on the RWA community group page, the Romance Writers of Australia. And a writer who I have met before and have had the pleasure of being interviewed by for Hearts Talk, Rania Batany, asked about republishing an earlier book. So a book that you've already published, what are the pros and cons of actually republishing it? And another author, Michelle Montebello, came on, and Michelle is actually currently in the process of that. And I was tagged because I have recently done that exact process with All We Dream. So after chatting to these two fabulous writers on Messenger, I decided to actually make it a podcast interview because I think uh, even if you're not someone who is republishing a book yourself, it's just an interesting topic. And it also speaks to a lot of these issues that we have as writers about putting our work out there. What are some of the ins and outs of indie publishing? And these two authors are very, very experienced and skilled indie publishers. So it's a really good chat. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. And it was one that I really loved having with Michelle and Rania. So let me tell you a little bit about them. Michelle Montebello is the international best-selling award-winning author of The Quarantine Station, Beautiful, Fragile and The Lost Letters of Playfair Street. The Quarantine Station was a finalist in the 2021 International Book Awards for Best Historical Fiction. The Lost Letters of Playfair Street won the 2020 Australian Romance Readers Association Awards for for Favourite Contemporary Romance and Favourite Australian Set Romance. In addition to this, The Quarantine Station and Beautiful Fragile were shortlisted in 2019 for favourite historical fiction and favourite contemporary romance. Michelle has been shortlisted twice for Author of the Year. And the other person who I'm going to be chatting to on the Convo couch is Rania Batane. Rania is a romance author who loves to build real characters and engage her readers with stories they can relate to. While offering a book that tugs at the heartstrings, Rania has a particular passion for exploring interracial romances. Stories have always played like movies on Rania Batani's mind. She created characters and imagined their conversations long before putting anything on paper. When Rania started writing, it was a relief to get everything out of her head and into something she could share. Now she writes the kind of books she loves to read, emotionally driven, raw and real just the kind of books I love to read as well. So let's join Rania and Michelle on the Convo Couch for the pros and cons of republishing. Rania and Michelle, welcome to the Rights for Women Convo Couch. Thank you for having us. Hello. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for having me. 
It's going to be great to have this conversation. I've mentioned in the intro that this came out of a, a thread that you started, Rania, on the Romance Writers of Australia community group on Facebook. And it's in regards to republishing a book that you've previously published. So could you tell us a little bit about where you're coming from with that question and what that question was? Absolutely. So when I wrote my first book, I think I hadn't really understood my author journey. I've now got eight published books and I have a much clearer picture of the author I am. I write two uh, very distinct book styles. So I have contemporary romance that has a fair bit of heat and then more women's and contemporary um, fiction. My first book doesn't really sit in either of those. And for my author branding, I'm finding it difficult to market a book like that now. So I started playing with the idea of rewriting it so that it does sit into one of those pockets for my branding and for my readers. But then all of these questions came out. The biggest question I really had was, should I reinvest the time to rewrite a book I'd already invested, you know, a year in writing? Yeah, that's a really good question. And somebody actually mentioned me in that thread because... This is exactly what I've recently done with All We Dream, (laughs) strategically positioned (laughs) behind me there on the video. Love that. Um, So so maybe if I just tell you a little bit about my experience and why I decided to republish and then we can just spin off that. Um, I should have brought the original version to show you the difference, but I'll put that up when we, we put this out. So the book was originally my second published book. It was Essie's Way. And I was published by Hachette at the time and I had published my first book in December 2012 with them. It was actually a rural fiction, I would say, because it only had a thread of romance, a very small thread, but I was being uh, marketed as a rural romance. So I subsequently, because I was being marketed in that genre, I I guess I started to inject more romance into the storylines and make them more of a feature. Although for me, they were always more stories about the women you know, and the family relationships and the romance happened to to come in as a part of that. So Essie's Way was my second book. It was um, written in quite a big hurry, I have to say, because a couple of months after Blackwattle Lake, my first book came out, the publisher asked me what else I had. I didn't really have anything, to be honest. I had a couple of fragments of things because I was just so excited to have my first book out. And they wanted to publish another book and they wanted to have it out uh, the exactly one year pretty much after that first one came out. So that was in February. That meant I had to have something that was ready to publish in the December. And traditionally, I'm not a fast writer. But anyway, I had to go like the clappers. And (laughs) (laughs) within three months, I'd come up with this story. And it is actually amazing to me that when you really push yourself and you have a deadline and you throw yourself into the writing, what you can come up with, because I did come up with a story that I loved, two characters that I loved, and I was really happy with all that. It had a bit of a historical thread. It had the romance thread. But I sort of knew even at the time that it was quite a rushed write, you know. It was revised and everything, like fully in-house revision, and it was put out as Essie's Way. And I got great feedback from readers. But it was one of those stories, because I loved the story and the characters so much, it was that one that I always thought Mm. of all my books if I could ever redo one, that's the one that I would want to do because I I felt like I hadn't really done the story or the characters justice. And anyway, fast forward to after having self-published my first indie book, which was Cross My Heart in 2019, I started to think about potentially getting my rights back from my trad publisher. 
And when I approached them, interestingly enough, his way was the one that I was was given permission to have back. So for me, that was like gold because that was the one that I'd always wanted to redo. So I guess my motivation for doing it was similar to you, Rani, that I don't see myself as a romance author. I see myself as a women's fiction author. Cross My Heart was definitely in the women's fiction category. And because I did have this motivation to to do the story justice, I thought I could do more with it in terms of creating a women's fiction story and giving it a new look and hopefully, you know, bring some new readers on board who might have read Cross My Heart. So that was my motivation. And anyway, I'll talk about the result of that later. But what about you, Michelle? Where are you sitting with all this? Yeah, so I'm currently rewriting my debut novel. This is it here, Interwoven. And for me, like you said, Pamela, you've gotten lovely reviews from readers and, and things like that. And Interwoven gets lovely reviews as well. But I think when I wrote this book, it was at the start of my writing journey. I was unsure of what I was doing. And I do feel like the marketing is all wrong for this book. So I don't think the cover really reflects the story. But also I threw everything at this story. So every plot line possible. It's a lovely story, but it's it's a lot happening in it. And I think, I don't know, I, I think it's made me less confident to want to really market it and push it and uh, promote it and things like that. It's a three book series at the moment. I just always thought, you know, if I could redo it, if I could have my time over again, I could probably polish up some of the storylines in it, polish up a little bit of the writing, carry those new storylines through, add maybe a fourth book, add a, a short story at the start as like a read of magnet. So I just thought I could do so much more with it. And so that's what I'm doing at the moment. It's actually been quite an easy process, easier than starting from scratch. I'm flying through it at the moment. So, and I'm happy with where it is. It reflects who I am as a writer now. And yeah, it's it's been a good journey so far. So I'm looking forward to the, the finished product, definitely. Michelle, just before we get back to Rania, how was it for you going back and reading? Like you said, that was your debut novel and you've written how many books since then? I'm about to release my seventh book. A lot more experience now. Yeah, so much more experience, yeah. And it's really funny because with Interwoven, the first 15 chapters were just, I feel anyway, quite slow. The pace was slow. No reader has ever really picked up on that. In my mind, I feel like the pace is really slow and I'm rewriting it. The first 15 chapters are just so much more advanced now, like I've gotten further along in the story. So, yeah, it's just a better, tighter story, more polished story all round, yeah. And how did you feel when you first went back and read it again? I was surprised at how well it was written. I don't give it enough credit, in all honesty. So I did read it. It's a lovely, sweet story. It just needed some tweaks, is what I felt. It just needed a little bit of polishing. How about for you, Rania? You've obviously reread that novel. I too have come a long way since I wrote that book and I find there are parts where I'm like, oh, that's written really well and there are some parts where I I internally cringe. (laughs) (laughs) Like if I could write this again, I'll write it this way. I think the one thing that has consistently come across between the three of us is that we all felt something could be better about the book or there was something that we just didn't feel was right. Like you, Pam, I loved this story and I loved my characters. I just really felt that I needed to make it tighter, like Michelle said, 
to make it sit much more defined in one of my two writing styles and also to just tweak it, make it faster paced. Yeah. So I think that is the one consistent thing that's come across is that we all felt something could be better um, about our stories. Michelle, you said you rewrote the whole, you know, first 15 chapters and now you're fitting in much more. I guess that comes to my next question is how much rewriting is too much and how much is too little? You know, is there a point in going back to do a rewrite and only tweaking a few words here and there just so it flows a little better? But is there a risk in changing the story so drastically that it's nothing like the first? Mm. I think you have to go with your instinct on that one. So when I started to rewrite Interwoven, I had a very clear idea of which threads of the story I wanted to keep and which ones I wanted to let go. My character, Belle, she lives in Sydney and she's just suffered a broken heart. So the the, the guy of her dreams who she was about to be engaged to has just broken her heart. So in Interwoven, she also loses her job at the same time. She has a very fractured relationship with her father. And she's also one of these types of people that everything is plotted out in her life. It's planned, it's on schedule. She doesn't really break from routine very much. So her best friend convinces her to drop everything and just go overseas. She ends up in Rome working in this trattoria. She also loves to cook. And that's something that her father, who's a lawyer, wasn't very keen on her doing in Australia. So she gets to kind of follow her dream. She meets a guy, her friend who wasn't into relationships at all, has, you know, fallen in love as well. So there's all these little things going on in in Rome. And then they have to leave quite suddenly. And then it carries on to book two and three. It's a continuing story. So certainly the first 15 chapters were spent in Sydney. And I felt like that was too long. It was just too wordy, too much. I didn't want to lose readers in that big chunk of the book. So I, I really reduced that back to about eight chapters. I had her, you know, her relationship end a little bit quicker and and get her to Europe quicker so that we could play out the romance thread in in Italy. And one thing I loved about Interwoven and readers have loved as well is that Rome really came alive for them. It's very colourful. There's lots of food and coffee and Sambuca and the colours and the smells and the little alleyways and laneways and things like that, piazzas and so I really want to draw on that strength of the book. So there's a lot more chapters in Rome. Great. Yeah. So, and, and then there were some storylines with her best friend as well, which I wasn't really comfortable with. So I've let them go a little bit. I've boosted up some other characters, given them a little bit more. And yeah, back to the original question, I think you have to go with your instinct. Look at what you're not comfortable with putting out into the world and keep what you loved about it and draw on those strengths. And I think as an author, you're probably the only person that can make that decision. Mm -hmm. It's what you feel comfortable backing at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So what I have noticed in the process is that the bits that I do like, I just copy and paste from the the old story and I just kind of rewrite over them and type them in and try to integrate them in. And then I might rewrite some new scenes and then I might go back to the original book, copy another chunk, yeah. So it's a step-by-step process, but sometimes I'll be able to do 3,000 words in one day or one writing session simply because I'm copying and pasting. (laughs) So it is moving quite fast because of that respect. That's great. Mm. 
Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? Well, for me, as I said, I, I liked the overall story and I liked the characters, but there were elements that I knew that I wanted to bring out more in the story. So when I wrote the original book, there is a younger character who is getting married. There's a little bit of a sense, even in the original, that there's a slight unease about the marriage, but she's not actually even able to put a finger on it. And then she wants to find something old to go with her wedding dress and remembers a necklace that her mother had when she was a child, but she has quite a fractious relationship with her mother. Her mother has some sort of unexplained mental health issue that's never really been addressed. And so when she asks her mother about this, there's a big scene. But anyway, I won't tell you how, but she finds the necklace <laughs> and she finds along with it a newspaper clipping and a photo of a woman, a beautiful young woman, but taken back in time. And then she starts to put pieces of information together and wonders if this could be her grandmother, who she's been told is dead. So it's a little bit of a family mystery. Um, there's another character who is an older woman, and it was really interesting when I wrote the original that the voice of Esther, who was Essie when she was younger, came to me. I hadn't written historical before, but I think because I'd done a lot of research and <clears throat> she was also the same age as my mum and reminded me a lot of my mum's aunties who I knew when I was young. So her voice came to me really clearly and it was really interesting that when I revised the book, I barely changed any of Esther's sections because when I'd written the original, it was almost, you know, when you have those moments where you feel like you're channeling yes. a character yes. a um, and that's brilliant. It doesn't always happen for me. You know, some of them are a little bit harder to tap into than others, but Esther's voice was, you know, just there. And so it was really good that I could just pretty much keep her sections as they were. And also there's some diary sections of her as a younger woman when she was known as Essie. I felt that that character was really strong and her voice was really strong. So what I wanted to do in the rewrite was um, strengthen the younger character, Miranda, and bring out more about this sort of family history, her relationship with her mother, because it was sort of touched on but not really delved into much, and also her own anxieties around getting married and around her family background. So in rewriting it, I actually really focused on her character and bringing out the psychological issues that happen around her and her family. And the other thing that I did in the original version, it ended quite quickly. And so what I wanted to do was to make the resolution part of the story to really not cut it short and to show the changes in the character and the changes in all the character situations by the end. So I really added quite a few scenes at the end. And it was really interesting. I did it on Scrivener. So I uploaded the whole document into Scrivener and I did start taking screenshots of all the original things to compare because I thought it would be a really useful teaching thing. But then as I got into it, I, I forgot about doing that. <laughs> uh, but it was funny, like the word count went up and the word count would go back and up and back and up. I think the original version was about Oh, I think it was 84,000 words yep. Eight, and I think it ended up at about 94,000 words because I, okay. I tightened a lot of the, the language but I also added new scenes, yep. yeah. So it was an can interesting just, process. Can I just ask you both, so for you, Pam, is, is All We Dream slash Essie's Way the only book you have felt the need to rewrite? 
because I've now discovered that as an indie author, you have control over what happens to the book. So for instance, the pricing. So my other three books that are with Hachette, the eBooks are still up around, I think the cheapest is maybe $10.99. Now my eBooks that I have control of are selling for, you know, four or six ninety yeah. nine, and and obviously you can then throw specials on for, or freebies mm. or whatever you want to do. I can't do that with those books. So um, ideally, I would like to get the rights back, and I think I would tweak before I put them out, and I try and bring them more into my current writing style because I feel yes. like yeah. my writing style has changed mm. a fair bit. Actually, I think I write mm. in a much deeper point of view now. Yeah, yes. so I would definitely revise them, but probably not to the extent that mm. I have revised Essie's Way. How about you, Michelle? Yeah, so the Bell series, which interwoven is book one in, because it's a continuing story, I do need to then revise the next two books because I'll need to carry through any new storylines that I write. I definitely have a three book rewrite ahead of me. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And then I'll add a fourth. I've already kind of replotted the series. So there'll be a full length fourth book and then I'll do a, a, a short story that I could use as kind of a freebie for readers. And then I think that will package up the series nicely. I think series uh, are great for self-published authors. So so that's something I'm really keen to do. In terms of rewriting any of the other books, I think The Quarantine Station, I don't know, like it does so well. It just continues to surprise me, that book. And if I were to go back and read it now, I'm worried that I, you know, my own inner critic would find mm. things to change. And I just don't want to go there with that because I think if it's working, don't change it. <laughs> it's working, Michelle, don't yeah. change it. Yeah, so don't time. change it. And, you know, Lost Letters of Playfair Street, that's fairly recent. So I think that's, that's quite okay. Yeah, I probably don't have any other books that I would rewrite, just the Bell series for now. That's enough of a task because I think that's going to keep me going for a couple of years. <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> So one of the other issues, I guess, that came up when I was thinking about rewriting This Is Kayla was how would I tell my readers that I've rewritten this book? And if they asked me why, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable coming out saying, well, because I thought the book could be better. Yeah. I don't, I don't mm. feel I was developed enough as an author then. I actually feel quite uncomfortable saying that. Um, have either of you told your readers that you have either rewritten or are rewriting and what have you told them? Yes. So I, I put something in my newsletter. I think it might have been two newsletters ago that I was rewriting, rebranding the Bell books. Yeah, and I'm the same if they've read yes. the Bell books. I don't mm. want them to feel like they got, you know, the old book or anything like that because it's still a really lovely story. So, yeah, it's a really tricky path to navigate. I also don't know when to pull the old books from platforms. So, you know, if readers are halfway through the current series, do I pull that and then potentially leave them hanging or do I upload the other one so they, they sit in parallel? Or So it's a question of timing, I think, and something that I haven't still fully thought through as to how I approach it. But I don't know, maybe the Band-Aid effect just rip the band-aid off and, and put the new one up and kind of navigate the questions that come through. But I'm thinking long-term with this new series. And I think in the long run, it's going to be a, a better series for readers. So I just kind of have to think ahead in that mm. respect. Mm. 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 
Yeah, it is a really tricky one. And I agree, Michelle, you don't want people who have read the book to feel like, oh, well, I got the dud version. Yeah, you know? yes, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, Essie's Way came out in 2013. So it was still available at the time that I got my rights back. It subsequently then was pulled. So it's actually no longer available, although I still have a pile at home, <laughs> so I'm not sure what I'm going to do with those. But, yeah, because I got the rights back and, and all that happened that was taken down off from platforms as Essie's way. It's been tricky to sort of navigate that whole thing, but I, I decided in the end that honesty was the best policy, that it was a story that I really loved, that it had really good reader feedback, that was something that I really wanted to improve on further and to go back to those characters and to take this story a little further. And I, I just said, you know, to bring it more in line with my own, my current writing style. I think that works. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I thought long and hard and I, I had this issue come up too for me when I decided to indie publish Cross My Heart because a lot of people ask me, you know, you've had four traditional books, why are you now indie? And I have to say that the initial impetus was because my trad publisher didn't want the book and... I went then finally went a step further and said I couldn't sell it to another publisher at that time. Yeah. But I then countered that by saying it was a story that I really wanted to get out there. It was one I really believed in and one that I felt took my writing into the direction I wanted to go. So I ended up deciding that honesty was the best policy. And I guess for me, coming from a traditional background, the stigma of indie publishing has now really almost pretty much gone for me because I can see the benefits of it in so many ways. And so that was probably a harder transition for me than the republishing of an earlier book. Yeah. So I don't know. What are you thinking on it, Rania? I think I'm going to do what, what you said and just say that this will bring This Is Kayla much more in line with my current writing style. And I think because I do have, you know, two separate genres that I write in, it will make it easier for me to explain that I want it to sit much more neatly in one of those genres than to kind of float in between the two, which it, which it currently does. Honesty is definitely the best policy, I think, as awkward as it is. So it's easy to, to address readers who are part of our newsletter and readers who connect with us on social media, I would say that those readers make up a fairly small percentage of overall readership. So how do we deal with new these new additions when there could possibly be books in libraries, in smaller retails who still have older copies? I do know that with retailers on Amazon, it is incredibly difficult to get copies off if they already own an a previous edition copy, they will hang on to it until it's sold. So how do you deal with knowing that there are previous editions possibly available for sale and those readers who we may not be able to communicate with? Is there anything you could do to let them know that that is a previous edition? Yeah, I had this issue. Initially, I thought I would have to have something on the cover and particularly because I was changing the title and the look of the book. The original book had, you know, the traditional sort of rural romance cover with a woman at the front, her face, and then in the background was sort of an old country shack and a, a blue sky and everything. Um, and I wanted to give it a different feel. And because I was also changing the title, I thought, yeah, how am I going to get around that? My initial panic self was saying, you have to put it on the cover. You have to be <laughs> out there and let everybody know. Anyway, I spoke to a few people and looked at a few others who had done this and I didn't put anything on the cover at all in the end, but I did on the opening page put previously published as Essie's Way. Yeah. Now that's when people open the yeah. book, but I also made sure that in the blurb on, you know, the online retailers, it says very clearly 
previously published as. So even though it's not on the actual cover, because I thought it sort of would spoil the look of the cover and everything, mm. I did put make sure that that was clear in the blurb. Were you able to move over any reviews that you may have had from other like Goodreads, Amazon reviews to this book? Yes. Now, oh, I, this was a really interesting thing that I didn't realise. It's a good question about Amazon. I don't think it happened on Amazon. But on Goodreads, if you contact a Goodreads librarian and let them know what you're doing, and this is a second edition of a previously published book, what happens is that the reviews stay there and the original edition stays up there, but it's sort of hidden. So you can choose which is the cover and the edition and the blurb and everything that you want to have public. But the good thing is that all the reviews that you've got from your first book come across once the librarian works their magic. So... I was really happy about that because you don't want to lose all that, obviously. So you would have had to get a new ISBN or did you? Yeah, I did. Yeah. It's completely new. Yeah. Michelle, you would you have to get a new ISBN since you're indie published? You do? Yes, because it will be given a new title, uh, new cover. Yeah. Definitely once you give it a new title, it needs the new ISBN, I think. So I was planning to do uh, new ISBNs for all of them. And yeah, in Amazon, I think as soon as you have a new ISBN, you, you can't just upload a new cover and manuscript to that existing profile for that book. So I think you do need to start fresh. And I don't know that you would be able to carry any reviews over. But Goodreads is interesting. I thought with the new ISBN, I would have to create a whole new profile again for that new book. So yeah, that's interesting. I'll give that a go because Interwoven's got some lovely reviews. So I'd love to keep them, just give it some presence. Yeah. What's your new title going to be, Michelle? So the whole series will be called Seasons of Bell. And I think the the books will follow seasons. So Interwoven will be called The Summer of Everything. Yeah. I can't remember what the other three are now, but they follow <laughs> like a winter theme, spring theme, autumn theme, etc. It just feels a little bit more cohesive now, not just random st <laughs> storylines everywhere even though the we've got the bones of the story and it's all there with the changing of the cover and changing of isbns and title and moving over reviews and you know contacting our readers it is still a lengthy process so considering that we could be writing a whole new book instead mm. what is the main benefit of reinvesting time when we could be writing a new book that's such a good question. And I think some of my writing friends may have said to me, <laughs> why don't you just write a new book? But, well, number one, it, I already had the bones of it, more than the bones of it there. The bones are most of the body. I just need <laughs> to add a little bit more muscle, I guess. And I, I knew that the book I was working on, the new book was going to, to take longer to sort of pull it all together I'm still working on it and so for me it was a good way to have another book out there something new that I could promote it fulfilled that desire of mine to bring the story up to the level that I wanted it to be at and to see that that final finished product if you like in a new form so for me it was really about having another book out quickly you know compared to taking potentially another 18 months to two years to finish the book that I was working on I must say it did take me longer to do that revision than I'd anticipated. I thought it would just take a couple of months and I'd have it out and potentially it could have been that quick, you know, but I found that once I went back into the revision process, 
I became very nitpicky and I absolutely wanted to make it, as we all do with every book, but I became more and more uh, concerned about getting it up to, you know, the absolute level that I really wanted it to be at. I thought if I was going to go through that process, I didn't want to rush it again. And, you know, I wanted to take the time to actually get it to where I wanted it to be. And so creatively for me, it's been a really good experience. I'm really, really happy with the the next, the end product. I have had readers uh, who have read both versions and the ones who have come back to me with with messages have said, I really loved Essie's way, but you absolutely have improved on the storyline and on the characterization and the writing. So for me, that was great to hear because that's exactly what I wanted to do. So in terms of where I put my time, I'm hopeless with my time anyway. Like I have to say, I'm really bad at time management and I tend to procrastinate about a lot. You know, I'm really only getting to the end of the first draft of my this other book, which I've been working on for a couple of years, although bits of it have been revised quite a bit as well. So for me, yeah, it was more a creative decision in terms of getting it out there. How about you, Michelle? Uh, Yeah, so I think there were a few aspects. So definitely the cover at the moment, I don't feel reflects the story. I got a little bit better with the marketing concept as the books went on. But certainly for Interwoven, like if you take this as an example, it's for me, it's a bit of a dark, broody kind of cover. And yet mm. the story inside is full of colour and, some, you know, the smells and sounds of Rome. And so I, for me, there's, there's a bit of a, a mismatch there. I'm a bit of a perfectionist like that or some OCD. I, I really don't know. But I just haven't really felt entirely comfortable promoting this series. And I just think if it's going to sit there and just be hidden away my backlist and not be something that I'm truly comfortable to promote, then I think it it deserves a, a rework. Now that I've started the process, I'm really into it and really comfortable about doing it, happy that I've made that choice to to dedicate the time to it. And it, it it's not as long a process as writing from scratch because, like Pam said, you have the bones and you have most of the body there. It's just rewriting some parts to it so for me the process is going so much quicker than if I was starting from scratch if you're a plotter uh, which I am it's the most comprehensive starting point you could have and I think uh, Kayla would be the same for you Rania you've got this finished product already and when you start to go over it you'll probably find some points where you think oh I could really do that so much better. And you might really get into the the process of it. And and I I don't know, how do you feel at the moment? Is it a book that you feel happy or comfortable to promote? Or do you feel a little bit doubtful, a little bit of self-doubt about it? So having written a book and then not wanting to promote it because you don't feel comfortable is in itself a waste of time. So Mm -hmm. I guess it makes sense then to to invest the time in rewriting it so that you can then generate all those readers that you'd hoped the first time. I think for me, it it does come back to that it, this book doesn't sit very neatly in either one of my my genre pockets. So I'm actually really eager to get started on this, give it a new cover. I will keep the title because my books all have a name in the title. <laughs> So this is Kayla, Promise Me Ben, Call Me Lucy, Choosing Lillian, Chasing mm. Gabby. That is 
part of my branding. So I will keep the title to, to keep consistent with that. But I'm really, really excited to change the cover. I've already sought out the cover designer. I'm, I'm really excited to get started. And having spoken to you both, I think that's really just confirmed that that is where I want to go with this book. That's great. Oh, good, yeah. Yeah. And I think as long as you make it clear to the readers, wherever you are selling it, Rania, that, it, you know, this is the second or a revised edition of, yeah. I think as long as you do that, you've ticked that box and you've covered that off for your readers. So, look, you might get a few that mistakenly pick it up thinking it's a new book but because of the cover, but if you've got the same title, that will make it easier as well. Yeah, well, yeah that's what I'm thinking as well. I'm hoping by keeping the same title I won't have to change over the ISBN and then I will be able to keep the reviews I have on Goodread. Yeah, that sounds like that'll work for you. Yeah. So are you giving yourself a time frame, Rania, in which to have this done? I have my new book coming out on October the 14th, which is Our Own Private Fig Tree, and I don't want to be working on this book when that comes out in October because I will be promoting that book pretty hard. So I do want to have it done hopefully by mid-September. Fantastic. Tell us a little bit about your own private fig tree. Okay, so our own (laughs) private fig tree, (laughs) this book is probably the one that is the most special to my heart. I'm a first-generation Australian. My parents immigrated from Lebanon in 1971 and I was born in the early 80s in a very multicultural hub of Melbourne City. And there was so much that I witnessed growing up that I didn't realise I needed to process. And this book is is me processing what I witnessed, what I grew up around. Um, It's an interracial relationship between an Australian man and a Lebanese woman. I'm married to an Australian man. So again, this is very close to my heart. And just what it was like for a first generation Australian to grow up in two separate worlds. There was the world that they had at home. So you know, we spoke Arabic at home, we ate Lebanese food at home, the weddings, the birthdays, the functions, they were all Lebanese. But then my friends were Australian or Greek or Turkish or I went to a school that only spoke English, obviously. And so that processing of which world do I belong in, you know, mm. I, I don't feel Australian because I don't look Australian and my name is Rania and I don't feel Lebanese because I live in Australia. And it was... It was really important to me, I realised, that to get this story out because it wasn't until I reached my mid-30s that I realised that I didn't really feel either Lebanese or Australian. And then I, I realised, well, hey, I'm actually both. I'm Lebanese and I am Australian and I'm, I am proud to be both. This book is kind of a tribute to, to that journey. That sounds oh, fantastic. That's beautiful. Yeah. 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 Thank you. That's so special. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very bit, exciting it's a, too. Mm. Yeah, I think it's the first book where I've really, truly poured my personal experience into a story. So releasing it feels a lot scarier. I can't wait to read it. Yeah, me too. It yeah. sounds amazing. Oh, How you. about you, Michelle? <laughs> Are you working on another new book as well as revising the old um, one? No. So probably the next two years we'll be getting the Bell Book up and running. Um, but I am releasing The Forever Place on the 28th of July. So Oh, that's uh, very I- soon. Yeah, I just ordered the proofs today, so hopefully I'll get that soon in the mail. And then if that's all fine, then, yeah, I can start to order boxes full and start to upload art. Tell us what that one's about. Yeah, so my character Marley 
She lives in Melbourne. She's a criminal solicitor and she's always been predisposed to uh, a drink or two. So her grandfather and father were criminal defence lawyers and quite heavy drinkers as well. So it seems to have been passed down the line a little bit. She always had it under control until she defended a gentleman in court who was up on domestic violence charges. And without giving away too much, she was able to get him acquitted in court, but he went on to do something really terrible. So mm. so she had to carry the guilt of that. Really, she started to question what role she was playing in society by being a criminal defence lawyer. So the drinking spirals after that, and she ends up in a, a car accident where she almost kills someone. And she was drunk behind the wheel. So her sister intervenes and, and they're like chalk and cheese, her and her sister. So her sister sends her off to this island. She says, you either go to rehab or go to this, this blue zone island in the North Atlantic Ocean. I don't know if you know much about blue zones, but they're basically the healthiest places on earth. So wow. the, the people live well past 100. There's virtually no instances of, of cancer or heart attack or dementia, especially dementia. There's pretty much zero dementia. Oh, wow. On Islands, yeah. And they're vegan. They're socially happy and socially inclusive. So old people don't get shipped off to retirement homes or anything like that. So I've created a sixth Blue, blue Zone Island. Basically. Oh, great. And she goes off and attempts sobriety on this Blue Zone Island uh, just off the coast of Nova Scotia in the North Atlantic Ocean. And I won't give the rest away. No, but, don't tell us yeah. too much. We want to read it. So. Yeah. So that's out July 28th. Okay, so we've got your book to look out for at the end of July and, Rania, your new one in October. Yes. And do you think that you'll put Kayla out prior to that or just get it ready and then put it out later? Um, The intention would be to put it out prior. So Mm. I don't think my rewrite is as substantial as perhaps Michelle who kind of condensed 15 chapters into eight. I think it's, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it's quite that extensive. I think with the amount of rewriting I have to do, I can definitely before October the 14th. Great. Awesome. We're going to look out for those two as well. So before I let you two go, could you tell people where they can find you online? Yes. I've got two Instagram profiles, a gardening one, which is my profile name is Rania's Garden and an author profile, which is just Rania Batani. And I'm also on Facebook and I have a website. I think I'm probably the only Rania Batani in the entire world. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm pretty sure if you Google my name, I will be the only person who comes up. <laughs> uh, well, that's handy, but I will put that in the show notes as well for wherever people are getting their podcast. How about you, Michelle? Yes, so I have a website, michellemontebello.com.au. I'm on Facebook. I do know of another Michelle Montebello. It's my stepmother, so don't get us oh, confused. Oh, well, that's funny. <laughs> Your stepmother um, is Michelle Montebello. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think we're the only two. And I'm on Instagram. You can find me, Michelle Montebello, author on Instagram as well. I'm on Goodreads and Amazon. Yeah, I have a Fantastic. newsletter too, so... Great, so we can sign up for that. So we we are running out of time, but Rania, I hope that we have answered your questions. You certainly have. Thank you so much for doing this, Pam. This was fantastic. Oh, no, it's been a really interesting chat. And before I do let you both go, one very quick final top writing tip and perhaps for indie authors or anybody considering indie publishing, what would you say, Rania? 
Oh, Michelle, you go first so I can think about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have lots of tips, but I think the, the biggest one for me is edit, 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 because we don't have the editing that I guess traditionally published authors have. So we do need to pay for our own editing. So I think whatever editing you can do on your own to get your book in the best possible shape before you get your professional edit done, after you get your professional edit done, any any editing you can do and, and improve on, you know, hone that skill as well, I think is well worth investing in. Mm, great advice. Yeah. Actually, going on that as well, Michelle, I think as an indie, it is so important to build your network because we don't have that, the, the luxury of having, you know, a, a publisher go over our book 500 times until it's perfect. So having your really trusted team of critique partners, beta readers, people that you can go to with your questions, that networking as an indie author is so, so important, especially because... You know, it can feel really isolating at times when you're just sitting alone in your little room writing. So having those people to bounce off, ask questions to, send a scene to, does this make sense? Will my readers relate to this? Is my character behaving the way my character should? Having all of that will make your story the best it could be with a small trusted team of other authors or, you know, critique partners, beta readers, like I said. That would be my mm. advice. That's great advice too, Rania. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for joining me on the Convo Couch. This is going to be a, a new style edition of Rights for Women. And, yeah, I, I can't wait to read your new books when the end, your older book, Rania, when it comes out as well. <laughs> thank you. Bye, Michelle. Bye, Rania. Thank you so much. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Rights for Women. I hope you've enjoyed my chat with this week's guest. If you did, I'd love it if you could add a quick rating or review wherever you get your podcasts so others can more easily find the episodes. Don't forget to check out the backlist on the Rights for Women website. So much great writing advice in the library there. And you can also find the transcript of today's chat on the website too. You can find details on the website on how to support the podcast through Patreon and get exclusive access to the extended audio and video of the monthly craft episode. And you can connect with me through the website at rightsforwomen.com, on Instagram and Twitter at W4W Podcast, the Facebook page Rights for Women, or find me and my writing at pamelacook.com.au. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. And remember, every word you write, you're one word closer to typing the end. <laughs> <laughs>